Bonjour, y'all. This is Allison Southwick, joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. He's also the advisor for Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. It's true. It's all true. On this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers, we're joined by Bill Mann. He's the Chief Investment Officer for Fool Funds and Fool Wealth. He's going to help us navigate the waters of international investing and combat some common misconceptions held by U.S. investors. We're also going to take a look at some startup investments made by celebs and see how they panned out. Hmm. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, hi, Bill. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm great. Bro, how are you? I'm great too. You guys have had lots of coffee, haven't you? <laughs> no, we just love having. We just love it when special guests come into our studio and talk to us. And Bill Mann has been at the Fool for 16 years, and I know this because he and I started on the very same day, way back in 1999. Yeah, yeah. The company hasn't been the same since. You went through Fool orientation together. They didn't really have that no. back then. It was like you went out to lunch, and that was it. And they're like, go, go get to work. Right. Go yeah. hop on those boards. Yeah. So celebrities have all this money and nowhere to put it. So they end up investing in the craziest of schemes like Facebook or restaurants, lots and lots of restaurants. Some work out, some don't. Like all those restaurants. <laughs> like 90% of restaurants. Like 90% fail, of restaurants. Yeah. So I was reading this week um, about how William Shatner, he was a spokesperson for Priceline, and instead of accepting money to be a spokesperson, he said, just give me shares of the company, which apparently is a pretty common thing for celebrities to accept yeah. shares yeah. Um, instead of money. So, they he did. And on this article, it said that he made more than $600 million as a result of that one savvy move. That's pretty slick. Do you remember that at the same time, Whoopi Goldberg was pitching a company called Flues? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I don't remember, I don't remember this. that at and it, all. And it didn't make six hundred million dollars. No, 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 somewhat less. Yeah, so, mostly less. What did Flues do? Flues was supposed to be an online currency. It was like a pre-Bitcoin Bitcoin. It was a way for you to have basically an online wallet, and so companies would accept Flues instead of you know <laughs> that that strange. Name. Right, it is a, it is an awful name. That's true. I really I'm a little short on Flues. Can I borrow some Flues? <laughs> Let me text you some flus. Right. But but we should point out that William Shatner didn't make $600 million either. Yes. He only made what? Well, several million. But kids, don't believe everything you read on the internet because turns out that this isn't true. Right. Well, he did, but he did still make a, a lot, a lot of millions of dollars, but just not $600 million. Um, other investments that maybe didn't turn out too well, if you remember, Justin Timberlake took a $35 million stake in MySpace. And not early. And not early. Right. But no, it was 2011, I think. It yeah. was in 2011, and he bought it from Rupert Murdoch's News Corp, who had purchased it in 2005 for $580 million. So, to be fair, he kind of did get a discount. He did. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. He was supposed to be like, he was supposed to lead the business strategy or something like that. And I don't know. Yeah. Oops. Oops. Yeah. yeah. Turns out to have a social website, you need to have people on it. <laughs> It's like a rule. The, they, they forgot to check that, oops. I think. So, the last one I want to bring up, unless you do want to talk about vodka, 
Maybe you don't want to talk about vodka. <laughs> Do we care. want to talk about vodka? I don't uh, so Dan Aykroyd, of course, invested in Crystal Head Vodka, which is made from peaches and cream corn, which is filtered through diamonds. <laughs> And it's and it's served. That is literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, it's served in a in a in a crystal skull, like decanter. Um, but apparently, we laugh. But apparently, it's won a lot of awards. Sure. Well, same thing. Some of these do work out, um, and uh, I, we're making fun of some of these investments. But the truth is, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to accept that some of these things are just not going to succeed. Like I don't know, selling underwear in Russia. Bill, what do you have to say about that? So I, this is where I should point out that the whole reason we're having this conversation about celebrities and their investments is because we just want Bill to talk about <laughs> shilling underwear in Siberia. Go. Yes, uh, that's <laughs> that is in fact true. Uh, yeah, back just after I got out of college, uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, who were both foreign language studies majors, decided that we wanted to make our mark somewhere else in the world, and. Um, he had just returned from Russia as a as, a, uh, as a, an exchange student. Russia was privatizing, and so we decided to go and try and make our you know make our millions there. And so we ended up getting the exclusive license to sell jockey underwear in Siberia, not the good part of Russia where people are. <laughs> Siberia. We did it when we did it for undergarments for the gulag. <laughs> there are no gulags left. That's but, too bad. Yeah, well, I mean, but. there would have been an audience for your underwear. <laughs> there would have been more people there had there been gulags. Right. Uh, is that a terrible thing to say? You think it's too soon? <laughs> I just, you know, I'd be surprised. That it would have been great there. for me if you people had all still been in prison. Does not seem like a, you know, the most charitable. At least not a good business model. No. Mm. So let me ask you this though. All right. So first of all. Why we, get, we do get no, we yeah. do get questions about people who want to start their own business and yeah. things like that, and don't do that. Um, yeah, but but people will say like, you know what? Even if it fails, you learn something. Do you feel like, as one of our chief investors, that you mm-hmm. learn something by running this business? Absolutely. Uh, the first thing I learned was that I was not mafia proof. But really, <laughs> more importantly, you really learn that costs are everything, and you need to know what your market is. But you know, one of the real problems for us was the cost of getting underwear to Siberia was not great and we were bearing it ourselves because you know we were we were young and not very professional and so it really required thinking about things professionally not thinking about things hopefully thinking about things you know in a, in a really realistic way and so I do think one of the best educations I've ever had was failing at selling skivvies in Siberia so like in your closet do you just have boxes and boxes of underwear <laughs> we didn't keep it <laughs> or is yeah. this what I'm gonna get for Christmas? <laughs> Again, right? Again. <laughs> so, advice for anyone who wants to start a business: focus on costs. Yeah, focus on costs. Uh, be realistic about what it is, what what your market is. I think that understanding a market is everything. And understand- you're saying you didn't have a good understanding of Siberians' yeah, underwear it turns market. Out, <laughs> turns out, when you look at Siberia on a map. In reality, it's much bigger than that. You know, uh, you know. I think people will avoid a lot of mistakes if they really make sure that they have a very clear view on who it is might buy what they are selling. We really did mean to just talk about celebrities, but that was interesting. <laughs> no, story. we didn't. No, we didn't. It was all a ruse. We just wanted to hear the, the tale, the chilly, chilly tale. It was cold. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes-
comes to investing, it's easy to stay close to the comforts of home and keep all of your money invested in U.S. stocks, especially when recent economic meltdowns in Greece and China dominate the evening news. It's a scary world out there. But Bill Mann is here to take on some of the biggest misconceptions U.S. investors have about investing overseas. And I get to have fun delivering these misconceptions in butchered U.S. accents. Butchered. Very butchered. And if I offend anyone, that's on you. So I'm going to take on the persona of the typical American tourist. And let's start off in New York. America is the biggest economy in the world with the biggest stock market in the world. Why should I bother investing anywhere else? Go ahead, Bill. You know who's going to be insulted? Impressionists. Everybody. Impressionists are going to be said, insulted. If I offend anyone, it's on them. Wait, impressionists are painters. What do you call people who do accents? Impressionists. So, like, yeah. Failed mimes. <laughs> Pretty wordy for a mime. All right. So, international investing. I just think of it as being investing, investing in, in, in companies in other places around the world. Yes, it is It is definitely true that the United States is the largest economy in the world. It is also the most diverse in the world. But one of the points for investing outside of the United States is to give yourself exposure to things that are not aligned with everything else in your world. So, think about in 2008, when suddenly your house was worth less, a lot of people were losing their jobs, you know, debt went up. This didn't happen in every country around the world. If you had a representation of your port in your portfolio in other countries, you made you made out better. And and that's the principle. In 2008 perhaps isn't a great example because that was extreme, but one of the reasons that you want international investing is that you do want those exposures outside of the United States. If you look over the long term, like since the early 70s, US stocks and international stocks have uh, returned roughly the same amount. Yeah, but not at the same point in time. Exactly. Yeah. So in the 80s, international stocks were great. In the yeah. first decade of the 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s, US stocks actually lost money, mm -hmm. but US international stocks actually made money. So having that diversification, actually if you have a portfolio of 50-50 each and rebalance them annually since 1972, you actually outperform U.S. stocks and international stocks. The diversified portfolio did better than either of them. Yeah, and that doesn't even get into the point that you know that we think about as you know at, at full funds, which is not just buying internationally, but finding really really good companies that are overseas that you know that you don't have exposure to in the United States. Let's head down south, shall we? Let's talk to a woman named Dixie. <laughs> I don't know. We are all named Dixie. We're all named Dixie. I don't need to invest in international companies because I own stocks in the U.S. companies that make a lot of their money overseas, such as Coca-Cola, which makes most of their money in other countries. That was awesome. That was good. that was actually really good. <laughs> nice job, Dixie. And, and both of Dixie. us are, are Southerners. That's right, so. Dixie. Yeah. <laughs> you want some pie? <laughs> now, sweetie, explain to me this. I, I think that that's a. I think that that's actually a really good point. You can get a lot of exposure from great U.S. companies. You can get a lot of exposure to markets around the world. What you really can't get is really concentrated exposure in other countries. You know, if you if you really would like to have exposure to a great Japanese company, or to the Japanese market, I should say, buying Japanese companies is the best way to do it. 
there's a flip side to that too, in that you get exposure to other things by investing internationally. So, um, commodities is somewhat of a debatable topic in terms of whether you need it or not. Right yeah. now, with oil down, you feel like you don't want it. When it was doing better in the 2000s, you did want it. If you own an internationally diversified portfolio, you are owning stocks in countries that depend more on commodities for their success. So you get that commodities exposure and inflation protection to a certain degree just by owning stocks in those companies yeah. in those countries. Yeah, we love uh, we, we we love owning companies that are in commodity company countries. Excuse me, that are not commodity companies. You can find some very, very specialized companies. And that's the type of thing that's just not available in the United States. All right. Should we head over to California? Sure. Which, which part? Surf's this up. is gonna be this is gonna be uh, a, well I'll let you guess. <laughs> uh, we'll call her Mitzi. It's too risky. Look at Greece. Look at China. Look at Russia. Don't look at Putin. He's too scary looking. <laughs> she crushed the word Putin. Putin. I'm going to say it Putin from Pretty now Putin. on. Putin. That was a little Dixie, a little Mitzi. <laughs> a little Dixie, a little Mitzi. Well, so do you remember uh, 2007, 2006, way back then when everyone was talking about opening bank accounts that were specifically done in Chinese currency? Yep, you remember I remember this? Like, that. This is a big thing. <laughs> I don't. But yeah, then this again. was a thing. You would even CDs. Like, you'd go to a place. I think every bank had those yeah. CDs denominated in other currencies. Yeah, because people hated the dollar. Right. How'd that work? How'd that work for which which supermodel was it who wanted to get paid in anything other than dollars? Judging from the tone of your voice, it didn't work well. Right. I'm I'm leading the question just a little bit. <laughs> it didn't work well. The fact is that China. You know, China has melted down. Greece has melted down. A lot of the emerging markets have melted down, which is usually a really, really good time to be interested in those exact things. It's when people are saying that China is going to take over the world, that you know, gold is going to go to a million. Those are the times that you want ought to be nervous. You know, I, this is this is true. I don't care if you're investing internationally or domestically. If everybody is excited about something, it there ought to be something in the back of your head saying. If it's if people are excited about it, maybe it's in the stock price, and it's just turned out to be true ninety percent of the time. Well, I feel like when I started the Motley Fool four years ago, all you would hear was like brick, 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 yeah. brick, bricked, bricked, even bricked, yeah, brick, bricked, and like crib. I think they tried to, yeah, no, exactly. And, well, and by and, the way, that's Brazil, Brazil Russia, Russia, India, China, right? Yeah, which are Brazil. which have been since then the four. Horsemen of the apocalypse for people's portfolios, <laughs> but they I mean, were supposed to be, you know, bringing yeah. a second coming. Yeah, right? that's it. yeah, that's 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 very true. There will be other fads, and they will cost people money. You know, so you know when we talk about international investing, that's why at the start I said I just think of that as investing. It is investing in the best that you can find wherever they happen to be. By the way, I'm going on record as doing a little experiment. I'm going to buy a Russian ETF and a Greek ETF. Just to see, because they are so beaten down. Yeah, everyone hates them. Yeah, and that's when you should be buying stuff. You know what the best performing asset year to date has been worldwide? The single best Greek government debt. Uh, really? Because it really? was it was beaten Better down. Because yeah. it was beaten down so much, and then people scooped it up. Yeah. and they've done because it was priced for like Greece going. It being belly, blow, yeah. blowing up yeah. and Greece has, into space. Yeah, Greece has done awesome by managing to not blow up. That's right. Right. I mean, that, that's <laughs> by just surviving. It. Yeah, by just surviving, they're they <laughs> they have outperformed expectations. Right. So congratulations, Greece. Way to go, Greece. You did it. <laughs> 
that's the lesson here is everyone should have a low hurdle. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did Listen you up, kids? <laughs> Today I'm going to try to survive to, to tomorrow, and I expect to be congratulated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final stop on our trip. Let's talk to a tourist who's maybe from Fargo. Yeah, Margie. Well, you want to call her Margie? Sure. Why okay. Not? Oh, geez, I have no idea how to buy stocks on the Euronex, the Tokyo Stock Exchange, the Shenzhen Stock Exchange, or the Deutsche Bourse. <laughs> but Bill Mann does. I do. I do. Well, for one, you don't really have to. There are hundreds of foreign companies that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange, <laughs> on Nasdaq. Even on the Amex, you can buy. You know, they're they call they're called American depository receipts, and you know you can you can buy them here. With a lot of brokerages, you do also have access to foreign markets. It's more expensive to trade, but you shouldn't be trading that much anyway. So if you find a you know if you find something that you want to buy, buy it and sit on it. But it is possible, and even if you don't know how to do it, your broker does. But it's. It's as easy as trading an American company with companies that have ADRs. And of course, there's always the mutual fund option. Um, you, they do it for you. Just find a good international mutual fund or even a good uh, international index fund, and you still reap many of the benefits that we've talked about while someone else is, is calling the Deutsche Börse to place a trade. Yeah, the thing I would say about, about international index funds is you do have to be careful on a country-by-country -country basis and make sure that you know what's in them, because as we were talking about before, uh, a lot of countries have a very high component of commodities in them and a really high component of banking within their ETF. So, it's one of those areas where I think that, that, that straight indexing creates some risks that you might want to at least understand before you undertake. Right. And different index funds cover Different countries to different proportions. So one of the biggest ones is based on the IFA, the yeah. Europe, uh, Asia, no Australia, Asia, and Far East index. But it's mostly developed markets, so you don't get yeah. a lot of um, uh, emerging markets. No Canada. So you do want to look at whatever index fund you're looking at. It has a broad exposure. Yeah, but the, those tend to. It's about forty percent financial. So yeah, yeah they are not. Um, they are not particularly diverse in some ways. Right. So then. Uh, for anyone listening, they're sold. They're ready to grab their passport and go invest overseas. Uh, how much international exposure should they be looking to get, and what's their next first step? So, uh, my answer for this is probably somewhat unorthodox because the way that we think about buying companies wherever they are is I want 100% of my companies to be awesome, right? I don't care where they are, right? I just want them to be good, good companies. Now, the global stock market is about 70% of the total stock market by market cap. The U.S. is only about 30%. So, you could say 70% of your portfolio should be international. Now, most people would say that's insane, right? That international for several reasons is you know is a little bit more risky. There's some more there's some more volatility. There's some things like currencies that you have to pay attention to, but. I think that you're probably dramatically underinvested in international with your equity with your equity sleeve if you have less than twenty percent. Cool. And so, what's the next step that someone should take after listening to this podcast to get a bit more exposure? I'll just repeat what I said. I mean, I think looking for a good mutual, mutual fund, fund, and there's probably one in your four hundred one k may not be the best one, but that's a way to start mm -hmm. at least to dip your toes in it and understand, get a sense of the volatility, but also how it behaves somewhat differently than the U.S. stock market. All right, Bill. I want to thank you for joining us. This has been a fun talk, and hopefully, you guys enjoyed um, that trip around America. Who was the best? Who was the best? 
Uh, I, I, I'm so partial to the movie Fargo that I have to go with Margie. Margie yeah, you like Margie strong. the best? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd and like I'm from to Chicago hang- too. I have, um, yeah. yeah. The southern part of Chicago. The southern part of I want to hang okay, out. Okay, so I was three when I moved south. So <laughs> I want to hang out with Margie and Dixie. <laughs> Play your cards right, Bill. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Right, that's going to do it for today. Bill, thanks for joining us. So glad to be here. And if you at home would like to know more about Motley Fool Funds and what Bill does every day, you can head over to Full Funds. That's F-O-O-L-F-U-N-D-S dot com. Also, James Early, our favorite Pinus expert, will be joining us again next week. So if you have any burning questions about conifers or dividends, email us at answers at fool dot com. The show is edited continentally by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Fool on. Fool on.